Let's hear it for our band. It's the High Humidity All-Stars. Let's hear it for them. How about a round of applause for our friends up in the balcony, our tech crew, our stream team. Let's hear it for them, wherever you are. You guys comfortable up there? You want me to turn the heat up a little bit? Are you okay up there? Balcony of an old church is the best place to be on a hot, humid day. So thank you to our team. Thank you for everyone for watching this morning and tuning in with us. We are going to finish up a series today, a series that's been super fun and exciting about the end of the world. This series is called The End is Nearer. And as we've been talking about all through this series, the end of something is not always a bad thing. So often we think about endings as being something negative or something bad, but they're not. Endings aren't bad if what follows is something better than what was. And what we know, those of us who believe what the Bible says, what we know is that what follows this world after this world ends is something so much better. And so we're looking forward to that day. And a big part of this message series has just been a reminder to us that something good, something better is waiting for us on the other side of this life, on the other side of this world, and that the end of this world is going to bring about something that is so much better, perfection, no more crying, no more mourning, no more grief, no more pain, no more COVID, no more humidity. It's all going to be perfect once we get to Christ's kingdom, and so we look forward to that. Uh, I've mentioned several times over the years that I grew up going to church kid, and I remember um, a specific occasion at our home church. It was after Sunday morning worship service, and I was standing outside, and there was a small group of, um, of older people talking. They were talking outside, and they were uh, bemoaning the state of the world. I guess that's, that's one way to put it, uh, kind of complaining about how bad things were and how, how wicked people are. And, um, and one of the, the ladies in the group said, I just can't wait for Jesus to return. I just can't wait for that kingdom of heaven. And that was the first time I heard someone express that. I can't wait for Christ to return. And my immediate thought when I heard that was, don't you have anything to live for in the here and now? <laughs> I mean, what's going on? Is your life so miserable here and now that you're just waiting for something better to happen? Well, things have changed since that point in time. I've grown up a little bit. And uh, two big things have changed that have uh, helped impact my perspective there. Um, one thing that's changed is now I have a, a more developed understanding of what heaven is and what that perfect kingdom of Christ will look like. And so uh, maybe when you're younger, you kind of think of heaven as just a bunch of people in robes and you're on clouds and it's like, well, that doesn't sound great. Um, but once you really develop an appreciation for what heaven is like and what that perfect kingdom of Christ will be like, um, then you realize that it is something to look forward to. It is something to, to be excited about. The other thing that's changed over the years uh, is that I've spent more time in this broken world, and the more time you spend on this planet, the more trials you'll see, the more tribulations you'll experience, the more difficulties you'll experience, and you'll realize just how broken this world is. And so now at this point in my faith, at this point in my life, I have a greater appreciation for what heaven is like and for what the kingdom of Christ will be like. And I also have a somewhat more uh, profound understanding of just how broken this world is. And this is what happens. If you spend enough time on planet Earth, you will see some ugly stuff. You will see people being ugly to each other. Uh, you will see what, what greed does to a person. You'll see what anger does to a person. You'll see sad stuff. And so those two things have impacted me. And so now when I think about heaven, when I think of Christ's return, I look forward to that and think it's a wonderful, beautiful thing. 
as we've been going through this series, there's a couple things that we've referenced um, over the past the, uh, three weeks here. Uh, we've talked about this period of tribulation uh, that we're told in Scripture, specifically in the book of Revelation, that there will be this period of great tribulation on the earth. And if we understand Scripture literally, we believe that's going to be a seven-year period. And so that's the great tribulation, but the fact is there are lots of little tribulations that happen in this world and the here and now. We know that. We've all experienced that. And so we know there's going to be a great tribulation. There's little tribulations now, but there's a great tribulation to come. The other thing we've talked about is this concept of a rapture. And not all believers, not all Bible-believing Christians are agreed on what the rapture is or if it even exists. Uh, We've talked about the rapture as this end of the church age in a time where where Christians are removed from this broken world, the church age has ended, and then the tribulation begins. And, and personally, I believe that that's how the end will play out, that there will be an end to the church age, and then Christians will be taken away, taken to heaven. Other people will be left behind. There will be dwellers on the earth left behind, and then that tribulation begins. Now, one of the big questions that has come up over the years, and something that I had to address uh, back in the days when I was a children's pastor, is the question of, well, why doesn't Jesus just take us home to heaven as soon as we get saved, if I can use that terminology, right? I mean, why doesn't we say a prayer, we confess our sins, we, we accept the salvation gift that Jesus has offered to us, and at that moment, why don't we just get taken up to heaven then? If we were just taken up to heaven then, we could avoid all these little tribulations in life. Why are we, for a time, for a season, left behind? And that's, listen, that might sound like a silly question to you. Maybe you've never thought, it, thought about it that way, but that's, that's a real thing. You know, this world's a broken place. And if Jesus is our Savior, and He is, why doesn't He just take us up to heaven as soon as we receive salvation in Him? Well, the answer to that question is, is pretty clear, and it's something that we really need to, to hold on to and believe and, and come to terms with. The reason that we are for a season left behind is because we have work to do here in this broken world. We have work to do on this planet. We have work to do in our community. That's why we are, for this season, left behind to do this work. The book of Ephesians, written by Paul, specifically chapter 2 and, and verses 8 and 9, Paul explains something that so many Christians have wrestled with over the years, this concept of, well, how are we saved? Is it really, are we really just saved by Christ alone, or is there something we have to do? Do we have to kind of earn it a little bit? And Paul makes it clear, no, there's no such thing as earning salvation, not even a little bit. You can't. And the way Paul puts it, he tries to explain this relationship between salvation and works, What is the relationship between salvation and works? If we're not saved by our works, then why do we do works? What's going on here? And essentially what Paul tells us is that we're not saved by works, but we're saved for works. And that's a wonderful way to think of it, and that's an easy way, an easy concept to hold on to. We're not saved by works, but we're saved for works. But I tell you what, that's kind of an understatement to say that we're saved for works because some Christians are out there and they think, well, I'm just here on this planet to to do small acts of kindness and I'm going to go to Wawa and I'm going to hold the door open for somebody else and that's my little act of kindness today. Listen, the work that we have been called to is so much bigger than these small acts of kindness. And yet, you can do your small acts of kindness. That's fine too, right? (laughs) But we're called to something so much bigger than just little works. We are called to engage in the mission of God. So yes, 
Yes, we serve people who are in need. Absolutely. But we keep in mind that our big work that we're called to, that we've been created for, is to engage in the mission of God. And God is on a mission in this world. And He has been. For as long as there have been human beings, God has been on a mission in this world. It is a redemption mission. It is a rescue mission. And once we receive salvation in Jesus Christ, we are given the opportunity to participate, to actively participate in the mission of God. In fact, I believe that Christ, in advance, before we were born, He prepared for each one of us a specific role to play, a specific task to carry out as part of His grand rescue mission. Hang on, guys. Did you hear that one? We have been given. We have been given a specific role to fulfill in the grand mission, the grand rescue mission of Jesus Christ. And if you don't fulfill your role, who will? I, I, listen, that, uh, that's a question I'm going to ask, but I can't answer for you, right? You have been given a specific role to fulfill. Now, there are things, listen, there are things that only Jesus can accomplish. There are things that only God can do. But we have been given a role in His mission, in this rescue mission, this mission of redemption. And our big role, the thing that we need to do, is we need to take the gifts that Jesus has given to us the gifts that we have received, and we need to make other people aware of the fact that those gifts are available to them as well. We need to take what we have received and share it with other people. Now, I know that's a very Christian-y sentence, so let me explain that a little bit, okay? Jesus Christ has given to us, He has presented to us two very big gifts, huge gifts. He has given to us the gift he has presented this to everyone. The gift of eternal life. This is the gospel message that we talk about so often because it's the central message of Christianity that Jesus came into this world, died on the cross for our sins. Died on the cross in your place and in my place. And everyone who accepts that sacrifice, everyone who accepts Christ as Savior, everyone who stops trusting in their own capacity for goodness and starts trusting in Jesus will be saved. And we enter into that perfect kingdom when we die and when this world ends. We enter into perfection and paradise and peace. A paradise that we do not deserve, but a paradise that has been presented to us as a free gift. Again, for all of those who accept Christ as Savior can receive that free gift. It's free to us, but it was expensive for Jesus. It cost Him His life. He shed His blood to give us this gift. It's free to us if we would only receive it. It's free to us, but it was very expensive for God. It cost Him the life of His one and only Son. And so that's a big gift that Jesus extends to everyone who would receive Him. That's a big gift, but wait! There's more. There's another big gift that Jesus gives us. He gives us the way. He gives us the way. Now, the first followers of Jesus, the first people that made up the movement called church were called followers of the way. And that sounds, that sounds awfully mysterious and kind of cool, doesn't it? But it really refers to something so practical. Jesus taught people how to live in this dysfunctional and broken world. He gave us a way. And He has showed us how broken this world is and how ugly people can be. And He says, here's, here's a method, here's an approach to life, here's a way to not only survive in this broken world, but to thrive. He has given us priorities to live by. He's giving us a code to live by. He has taught us to love one another. He has taught us not to worry about tomorrow. He has taught us to pray instead of worrying. He's given us a way to live in the here and now. 
I can't overestimate how precious that gift is. How do we approach life? How do we approach all the different arenas of life? How do we think about time? How do we think about money? How do we think about leadership? How do we think about our relationships? Jesus has given us a map, a road map, how to navigate our way through this crazy, broken world. So we can not only survive, but thrive and dedicate ourselves to doing something worth doing. So many ways you can spend your time. So many ways you can spend your life. But there's only one thing that's worth doing. Serving God. There's only one thing that has eternal value engaging in His mission. And Jesus has given us a map of how to live that out. And it's so utterly practical. How many times, friends, how many times have we looked at the Sermon on the Mountain? Matthew 5, 6, 7. It's all there. Okay, it's not all there, but so much of it. The big ideas, the big ideas are there. And you know what's not there in that Sermon on the Mount? There's not a detailed explanation of the Gospel, right? I mean, the stage is set for the Gospel, but that's not the focus. The focus is how do we live in this broken, dysfunctional world in such a time as this. He's given us eternal life, and He's given us a way to live in this broken world. Now, over the years, many people have tried to separate out these two gifts, Right? Well, I'll take this, but not that. Or I'll take that, but not this. Listen, this, this was meant to be received as one bundle, right? These items are not for individual resale. That's not how this works, right? And so we try to grab onto that fact that, yes, we want to see people accept Christ as Savior, and that's wonderful, and that's one of the gifts that He's received, that he, He's extended to us, but, but then there's this way to live. And we want to make sure people understand that. And that's where we come in. This is our role to make sure that people understand what Jesus has done for us. Not only did He die on the cross for us, but He's also given us a way to live in this world. And so this is the work that we have been called to. To make people aware, right, of what Christ has extended to us, to the gifts that He has extended to us. <clears throat> Not only make people aware, but to communicate the reality of these gifts that Jesus has extended to us. And to provide people the people that we love, the people in our lives with multiple opportunities to receive Christ as Savior and to begin following His way, His approach to life. There is a term used to describe our mission in this world, what we are supposed to do, and that term is discipleship. Discipleship. This process of making disciples. The process of making disciples is sharing the gospel, but not just that. It's sharing the gospel and also showing people a better way to live. Christ's approach to life that He has given to us. We are to make disciples. Take a look. If you don't believe me, take a look at that passage that we looked at earlier. Jesus has commanded us. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And just to give you some context, this is after the crucifixion. This is after the resurrection. Jesus is commanding His first followers, His first disciples, that you need to go and make more disciples, okay? That wasn't their plan. This wasn't the normal model of rabbis and disciples. Normal disciple would study under a rabbi for about 15 years and then they could graduate to rabbi. Jesus tells His disciples, you're not graduating to rabbi. You're going to remain disciples who then go and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And guess what? That's an utterly redundant statement because to make disciples would be to teach other people to obey everything that Christ commanded. Why is Jesus redundant about this? I think he's making a point. Listen, guys, it's got to be more than the gospel. 
It's the gospel, then it's also the bigger picture of how to live. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And here's the good news. If you're listening right now, you think, well, that's awfully big work, right? And maybe there are some Christians out there that kind of have their black belt in Christianity and they really know what they're doing and they can go and make disciples, but that's not, that's not something I can do. Well, guess what? None of us can do it in our own strength. Jesus tells us, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the reality. We can accomplish this work of making disciples, but only through the power and strength that Jesus has given to us. Jesus promised his disciples on the night of the Last Supper that he would not leave them alone, that he would send the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit is God that lives within us and among us and enables us and equips us and empowers us to engage in the mission of God and to make disciples disciples. This is the work that we have been called to do. Now, once upon a time, you might remember, some of you have been with us for a while, back in the olden days when we met at the Barnstormers Theater. You guys remember the Barnstormers Theater? Way back when, okay? It was before the pandemic, just to give you a frame of reference there. When we were still at the theater, we talked a lot, okay, we, I, I talked a lot about discipleship and what it means to make disciples. And do you remember the pendulum that we talked about? Does this, this remind anybody? <laughs> Remember the discipleship pendulum we talked about? How it swings back and forth and that to make disciples you need to share the gospel and you need to have people and you need to communicate the reality and give them an opportunity to receive Christ the Savior. You need to do that, but then the pendulum swings over here because you need to build up the disciples you already have. You need to educate and inform and teach them to obey everything Christ commanded and it swings back this way. We've got this discipleship pendulum that swings back and forth and both those things need to be happening all the time. And so we had big plans pre-pandemic that we were going to move aggressively into the direction of sharing the gospel with new people, move into that direction, let the pendulum swing in that way. And then guess what happened? God interrupted our discipleship plans. Well, guess what? We don't have, listen, we don't have the luxury of taking off for a season from the work of making disciples. I think there's a temptation we have to say, you know what, well, once, once the pandemic ends and once we can have people in this space and once, once things get back to quote-unquote normal, then we can pick back up where we left off as a church. Then we can pick back up with the, with the work that we've been equipped and called to do. Then we can get back to disciple-making. Once things get back to normal, who told you things were ever going to get back to normal? Well, these are just uncertain times. Guess what? They're all uncertain times. Only God knows for certain what's ahead of us. We cannot take off from our mission of making disciples. We cannot take a pause during the pandemic, a pandemic pause. We cannot take a pause from engaging in the mission of God. Our work is too important. And so... Some of you may have realized in the email that was sent out in advance, I sent you some fun little message notes, okay? So if you want to turn to those at this time, we're going to look through them. Because here's what I want to give to you. I want to give, well, let's make this practical, okay? Because I know what it's like. You're at a church service and you hear the preacher say all these things. It's like, okay, that sounds fine. I don't know what I should do. Let's, let's get practical now. Let's make this tangible. And so I want to give you two questions here. The first one is this. What are you doing right now? What are you doing to actively engage in your own discipleship? Or to put it another way, that's grammatically incorrect, what are you doing to actively engage in your own disciple becoming? You're becoming 
my disciple, what are you doing? Because there are things that all of us can do and really should do. There are disciplines. Hey, discipline, disciple, same root word. Hey, go. What about that? There are things, disciplines that we need to engage in that help us live into what we were created to be. Different disciplines we can engage in. I want to focus on one for you today, but I want to give you a few options, a bigger idea of what it means and what these disciplines are. There's the discipline of service, right? The being a disciple is in the doing of what a disciple does. That's a fun sentence. The being a disciple is in the doing of what a disciple does. And so you serve one another. You take care of those who are in need. And you can participate in in church-sanctioned service opportunities or you can serve someone that's just in your life. Both of those things are great. But to serve is a discipline. We can engage in the discipline of prayer. What's your prayer life look like, friends? What did it look like back in January, February? What does it look like now? Right? When there's an imbalance in our prayer life, we go off the rails in our lives. It just impacts every arena of life. Maybe you never really had a strong prayer life. That's okay. Now's a great time to start. Instead of worrying, start praying. Right? What are we worrying about? Instead of plotting and planning and strategizing, just, just give it to God. Pray about all these things that are on your hearts and on your minds. Parents, you're thinking about school and what's that going to... Just pray about it. Just pray about it. And if so many are out of work right now, pray about it. I know it's easy for me to say and it's tougher to live out, but I'm encouraging you to pray about it, really. There's these little Christian cr- cliches we have, like let go and let God. Okay, that might see, may seem cliche, but if there's a reality, give it to God. Just pray about it because you're worrying about it. It's not going to change anything. There's prayer. There's the discipline of Bible reading. These are all different disciplines. Ah, reading the Bible. What's such a big deal? Josh, you're always on about reading the Bible. Here's what's up, okay? The number one way that God communicates to us is through His written Word. It's the number one way. It's the number one way. And if you're wondering why, why at least three times a year do we focus on reading the Bible? This is why. It is the number one way for us to be exposed to the voice of God in our lives. Believers out there, Christians out there, if the voice of God is not the loudest voice in your life, you're living an imbalanced life. Why are you worried? Why are you anxious? Why are you annoyed on social media? Why are you frustrated? Why are you angry? Maybe it's because you're listening to too many other voices, voices that are, you're being exposed to on the news and media, maybe voices that you're being exposed to and opinions you're being exposed to on social media. You need to quiet those voices. You need to quiet those voices so you can hear what God is saying to you. The number one way that God communicates to us is through His written Word. Okay, here's the big focus, though. All these things that you can do, all these things, choose any one of them. Here's where I want you to focus because here is where I think is our biggest challenge right now. I want you to focus, I'm encouraging you to focus on the discipline of worship. The discipline of worshiping God. Listen up. I don't know if you realize this or not, but all of us, not just Christians, all of us, all of us were created with a need to worship. And if we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping something else or or someone else, right? And if you don't believe me, After service is finished, stay on YouTube and search for any given sporting event, right? And look at the crowds cheer. Yeah! Look at the excitement. Yeah! Or or look at footage of any concert, right? And we've been a part of those experiences where that band comes out on stage and is like, whoa, yeah, 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 yeah! Or any red carpet and the people trying to give me your autograph, all that kind of stuff. We were made to worship. 
And we've always, listen, for as long as I've been in ministry, we have always been up against it when it comes to worship. So many Christians, so many believers have deprioritized worship. Ah, it's just showing up at a place for an hour. It's not that big a deal. Okay, listen, it's not everything, but it's something, and it's a big thing to be able to engage in worship. And before the pandemic, we were up against it. Before the pandemic, it was a challenge to show people just how important it is to gather together and be re-centered. And you better believe it's even more of a challenge now. Goodness gracious. Do you realize I'm talking to seven people in a room right now? Goodness. Okay, this is more on the lawn. Hi, friends out there, right? It's never been more difficult to worship. And you can say, well, it's never been easier. I can worship from home. Well, listen, here's what we know. Live streaming friends, watch it from home. The novelty has worn off, hasn't it, right? You remember that first week you tuned in? Oh, this is neat. Our church is finally doing this. Oh, what about this? Yeah, let's all gather around the TV. Let's all gather around the phone. And yeah, we're going to stand up and we're going to sing together. What's up now? (laughs) Now we're all sick of it, right? Well, now we have to be that much more intentional and not making it about us, but making it about God. We need to be extremely intentional in engaging and participating in worship. If you live with, if you have other people that live in your house, I'm encouraging you to gather everybody together at the same time, right? Ah, somebody's in their bedroom, somebody's in their bedroom, and I'm kind of watching them. No, I want to encourage you. Try to do what you can to get the most out of this worship experience. I know it's not what you want. I know it's not what you're used to. So we have to be that much more intentional. I want to encourage you, if you live with anybody else in your house, gather that household together, okay? You can't force them. I don't know, maybe you can't, I don't know. Try to encourage all that household to gather together in front of a screen. I know it's not the same. I know it's not the same. But gather there and stand up when Sean and the band are playing and sing out loud and feel like a goober doing it. That's fine, right? To get off the couch, right? I mean, what are you doing right now? You're sitting with a cereal bowl in your lap, just in your pajamas. No, put it down. Stand up and sing and be off key and lift up those praises to God. Just do it. And your neighbors, open up the windows and let your neighbors hear how ridiculous you are because you're praising God. You're worshiping God. We're made to worship. And when we're not worshiping, we experience an imbalance. So do it. I also want to encourage you. This is so important, guys to enter into this worship experience with a Bible in your hand and a notebook in the other. Guys, it's time to start writing stuff down. It's time. It's time. It's time to enter into this worship experience eagerly anticipating the voice of God. Anticipating that God is going to speak to you. And when He does, you're going to want to write that down, right? How many times have you been in worship and thought, oh, that's a good thought, that's a good idea, I'll remember it, and then by the time you sing the last song, you have no idea what God shared with you, what God said to you, how God spoke to you. Come on, guys. Let me talk to our members that have been around for a long time. It's time for us to grow up as a church. It's time for us to prioritize worship, to take notes, to write stuff down. Here's what God said to me today. Next Sunday, Pastor Sean is beginning a new message series, a three-part series, and you better believe I'll be listening to that series, I'll be watching that series with a Bible in one hand and a notebook in the other hand and a pen somewhere handy, right? Okay, I only have two hands, people, right? But I will be there ready to write stuff down and hear from God. Even if you never look at it again, just the discipline of writing it down. This is so helpful 
This is so important. And you need to do this. This is now more than ever to engage in that discipline. When God speaks to you, when you hear something that's useful to your life, to write it down. Okay. So that's that. Discipline of worship. My next question for you, so that was what are you doing to engage in your own discipleship. The next question is, what are you doing to actively participate in the discipleship of others or making others disciples? What are you doing in that arena of life? Okay? A few ideas for you. Different disciplines, again, different dif- disciplines we can engage in. Discipline of service, once again, same as above. It's an option above as well. That discipline of service, serving other people, showing other people what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. That it's not just about what happens on a Sunday morning, but you're serving people, you're taking care of people. The discipline of sharing your story, oh, we'll, we'll be focusing on that before too long. Right? Some Christians call that your testimony. And it's not about preaching the Bible at somebody, it's sharing your personal story. I'm a believer and this is why I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian and this is why. That's a discipline of sharing your story that so many of us Christians back away from because we think, well, I don't really want to, that's personal. Nope. That is a discipline that we are to engage in. The discipline of sharing the gospel. Of course, that, sh- that is a part of your story for those of you who are believers. But the discipline of actually putting words to what happened in history. To articulate the fact that what Jesus has done for you, He's done for all people. He's died on the cross for you, He's died on the cross for all. And all who receive Him as Savior will be saved. To articulate the gospel. There's also, and here's where we're going to be our focus this time around, the discipline of prayer. The discipline of prayer. Specifically, to be praying for the people in your life that don't yet know Jesus as Savior. Over the years, those of you who have been members of Hope for a long time, we have given you little index cards to fill out. We have given you little postcards to fill out. We have given you multiple opportunities to take pen to paper and write down the names of the people that you love who don't yet know Jesus as Savior. That's a discipline to write those names down and to pray for them. There's a little expression that I use a whole lot. Maybe you're sick of hearing it, but we can really let God do the heavy lifting. Okay, don't worry about those people that don't know Christ yet. Don't worry about, well, how am I going to orchestrate this or what kind of case am I going to make or I feel ill-equipped. Just for now, I'm encouraging you to focus on that discipline of prayer. And so two questions to ask yourself. What are you doing to actively participate in your own discipleship? And what are you doing to actively participate in the discipleship of others? We don't have the luxury of taking a season off from making disciples. We, as a church, the only reason we're here, well, we want to make, you know, kind of do some Christian-y stuff and have church and it's going to be fun. No, 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 that's not why we're here. The only reason we exist as a church is for this work of making disciples. And guess what? The pandemic is not going to stop us. There is nothing, there is nothing that will stop us from engaging in the mission of God and making disciples. Let's pray on that. Father God, once again we come before you and we thank you. We thank you for your great sacrifice that you have made on our behalf. We thank you for sending your Son into this world. Jesus, we thank you for your obedience to the Father. And Jesus, you you told us, you said that the Father sent you into the world to save the world. And then Jesus, 
you have sent us. In the same way that the Father sent you, you have sent us to engage in your mission and to make disciples. Father God, there are always reasons. There are always obstacles. There's always reasons we can come up with to say, well, well, not right now. It's not convenient right now. But God, I just pray that you would destroy all of those reasons, destroy all of those excuses, and pave a way forward for each and every one of us. For all those who are listening, all those who are watching right now, Holy Spirit, we invite you into our hearts. Show us how you would have us more actively engage in our own discipleship and how you would have us participate in the discipleship of others. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.